First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Rinkwide Vancouver. We saw signs of it on Saturday when Vancouver Canucks lost their composure and had trouble killing penalties against the Winnipeg Jets, but this was something else entirely as the Canucks flushed a 5-2 lead late in the second period, watched the Minnesota Wild convert power play after power play, and it all added up to a 10-7 Wild victory. It was wild indeed. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. We're coming to you remotely on this family day holiday. Usually we're in our studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel, centrally located in the heart of it all. Sports games, theaters, restaurants, shopping, English Bay, Stanley Park. It's all just a short walk away. So whether you have people in from out of town or you're considering a staycation for yourself, make sure it includes the Wall Center Hotel. Jeff Patterson joined by Irfan Gaffar and Irf. We've said this before. (laughs) Oh, we've got lots to talk about. We've got lots to talk about. I don't know. I've been at this a while. I know you've covered this team for a long time as well. Uh, I can't recall a third period like this one where the Canucks give up seven goals, all the five on threes. Three guys get hat-tricks in this hockey game, and JT Miller's an afterthought because uh, the Minnesota Wild go to town and defeat the Canucks double digits, 10-7, the final score. Yeah, we complained about day games being so boring (laughs) with with this hockey team. But this one had a little bit of everything. You mentioned it. The three hat tricks. You know, we're going to talk about Casey DeSmith. The the seven goals given up by the Vancouver Canucks in the third period. The 17 goals scored in total in the hockey game. Um, Wild, yes. And not just for the Minnesota team, but what a game. Um, So much to dive into. I'm pumped for it, Jeff. Let's, let's, Let's definitely get right after it. Well, we saw some cracks in the penalty kill on Saturday against the Jets. It was the first time the Canucks had given up two power play goals in a game since before Christmas, and that was nothing because Minnesota ends up going four for six with the man advantage. So the Canucks have given up six power play goals now in their last two games. They lose back-to-back outright in regulation. That hasn't happened in a long time. And another game where they had a lead. I mean, they were up five to two. They were on easy street, and it looked like they were going to get out of the second period with a 5-2 lead, but that's when the wheels started to come off. Uh, late penalties, uh, uh, Nikita Zadorov and then Teddy Bluger, that put the Canucks two men down. And five on threes, I mean, they happen, but they don't happen with the frequency with which they did in this game. It started early. The Canucks had to kill off a minute and 27 seconds of five on three, and they got through that in the first period. And you thought, uh, okay, you know, they avoided some trouble here, but the trouble would follow and really it would catch up to the Canucks in that third period. Again, it was mind-boggling. Like, it was hard to catch your breath. I can only imagine what it was like for the players on the ice, Rick Tockett behind the bench. You know, Minnesota pulls the or like switches goaltenders, Philip Gustafson out after two periods, essentially putting the flower in there for mop-up duty. I mean, they're hoping that they get a little bit of a bump from the goalie change, but really the goalie didn't have anything to do with it. At least the Minnesota goalie didn't. Uh, it was all the power play. Joel Eriksson with three goals and three assists. Kaprizov caps his hat trick into the empty net 
at the end. So he also has three and three. Matt Boldy had one and three on the afternoon. So their big guns were there. We talked about JT Miller. He had the hat trick. Uh, He also had an assist. So a four-point afternoon for JT Miller. But ultimately, when you look at this, I mean, seven on the road. Seven wherever. I don't care if you're playing on the moon. Seven should be enough to win, uh, not leave you three goals shy. Uh, But, I mean, really, this is a story of Canucks discipline, penalties, and just an inability to kill penalties. And your goalie has to be your best penalty killer. And Casey DeSmith wasn't. I'm not pinning it on him. But he's got one win since Christmas, Earth, And this is becoming a story now uh, in as much as they, they're going to need him to play some games to give Thatcher Demko days off down the stretch here. There's still a lot of hockey to be played. But he was such a good story early in the season. And now the struggles are apparent. Uh, again, I don't want to pin this entirely on your backup goalie, but they gave him a 5-2 lead to work with. Like, lock it down, make some stops, and that just didn't happen for Casey DeSmith, who, again, one win in six starts since Christmas. Yeah, I mean, look, this, again, I'm not going to put this one totally on DeSmith. Make some saves, yes. You do need to stop a couple. I mean, some of the bounces obviously weren't going their way, but you win as a team and you you do lose as a team, I, I think, in, in my opinion as well, Jeff. So when you look at it, you know, up 5-2 going into the third period, like, this team should be able, or sorry, up 5-3 going into the third period. This team should be able to close hockey games if they have Stanley Cup aspirations. I, I know it's, you know, a game in February and it's it's an afternoon game on a holiday in the States and, and things like that. But these are the type of games where, you know, you're going to look back and say, if things start to fall off here a little bit for this team, you know, here's one of the reasons why. But yeah, the, the penalty kill wasn't good. You mentioned four for six. That's not good. You know, other teams looking at this team say, well, let's just keep moving our feet. Let's get power. Let's get power plays. This team can't stop us if we're on the power play. And, you know, obviously the Minnesota Wild was we're doing that. We're making the Canucks take penalties, but bad penalties, too. Like penalties that they didn't need to take, just dumb, silly mistakes. And, you know, the the head coach mentioned it. They needed to stay more disciplined, and the, the lack thereof definitely did show that in this hockey game. Well, and, and that's one of the things for me, because that was one of the comments from Rick Tockett the other night. Didn't want to let his team off the hook against Winnipeg. And I know officiating was front and center on Saturday night, and people here are going to look at all the five-on-threes for the Wild and say, maybe the Canucks stirred the pot here, that it was different guys wearing stripes, but they're all part of the brotherhood, and you know, if you call out the officials, you're going to pay. But really, when I look at the penalties in this hockey game, Connor Garland gets called for high-sticking early, and then Noah Juleson takes Zuccarello off matching unsportsmanlike conduct penalties uh, at the same time, even before the face-off on the first penalty kill. But then Elias Lindholm, that was the one, I guess, when, like, you're already down a man, and Elias Lindholm as the puck is cleared and going down the ice, and he takes a bit of a shot at Joel Erickson Eck. But there has to be some leeway there. So I had some issues there. But again, they killed that part off. That So that didn't come back to bite them. But Zadorov gets called for holding late in the second period. Teddy Bluger gets the high-sticking call. Elias Pedersen on that wild scramble in the dying seconds of the second period. And then JT Miller puck over the glass. I mean, that one's black and white. There's nothing that uh, you can do about it. He flipped the puck out of, you know, under pressure, out of play. And so uh, a lot of this was the Canucks' own undoing. And and just the words of the coach that, you know, they've got to cut down on the penalties that they're taking. And four minutes into this hockey game, three guys are already in the penalty box. Like So maybe we've got an indication of what was to come later in this game. But ultimately, like, I don't care if you think you're playing two teams like Tyler Myers said the other night. Uh, the adversity comes at you in all sorts of forms and fashions, and it's going to down the stretch, and it certainly is into the playoffs. And penalty kill had been a strength of this group. Like, since Christmas, mm-hmm. 
they had been one of the top five teams in the National Hockey League on the penalty kill, but the bottom has completely fallen out here, and it has to be more than just the fact that Dakota Joshua is out of the lineup. Like, he would help. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt. I mean, he's become one of their best penalty killers, but, you know, again, they've been so fortunate on the injury front that one guy coming out, just it's a house of cards? Come on, I'm not buying that at all. But uh, the guys that are asked to do the job they got to suck it up and, yeah, I mean, a massive fail on the part of the penalty killers across the board for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and I think that when you look at it, there's obviously going to go back to the drawing board here and and figure out what coverages were blown, things like that. I get the deflections, but I don't like the JT Miller putting the puck over the glass. You know, that that's just you, that just can't happen, and, and I get it. There are mental errors and things like that, and the puck may be bounced or something like that, but there was more than enough times for this Canucks team to be able to close this hockey game out and 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 not take penalties but when you do you should be able to bail your 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 goalie out but it's just it, it was it was lapses in judgment it was maybe the morning start I mean they've played a few of the games in the morning Jeff like I I don't really know but yeah morning, it, it was, morning start didn't seem to bother them at five to two earth like. no I, I you're right but I don't like I think it's one of those things right you just you're grasping it looking for things but Look, I, I mean, I, I tweeted, I, I don't think Stanley Cup contending teams give up seven goals in the third period. I, I just don't. That That's it's a tough look for the Vancouver Canucks. I get it. It was your backup goalie in net, but this is a team effort. You do it collectively, and they clearly are going to be feeling the criticism after this one. Yeah, and look, it doesn't get any easier. Back-to-backs into Denver against Colorado Avalanche, who have the best home ice record in the National Hockey League. And I think that's where Rick Tockett's hands were tied. I think in different circumstances, he might have had the hook out and and put Thatcher Demko in there just to give the team a different look. We talked about the Minnesota switching goaltenders, but you've got Demko, you're saving him for the Avalanche, and you know that that's going to be a, a busy workload uh, for the Canucks at the back end, the back-to-backs, and at altitude and everything else. And so this was Casey DeSmith's game start to finish. And again, like I, I want to move past Casey DeSmith. Uh, it wasn't all on him, but uh, where he was such a good news story in the first 10 starts of the year. And again, the team in has to play better in front of him. There's no question, but this is the NHL and you do need some stops. I mean, Minnesota scores 10 goals on 17 shots, or 27 shots rather, now the last couple into an empty net. So they weren't uh, all scored against Casey DeSmith, but still eight get past the Canucks netminder. Uh, that is a few too many. And, and you just look like I ran out of space on my stat sheet. Like I like to keep game notes and all the scoring plays and you know, it all really started at 5-2 to two with the Canucks. If they get out of that second period, it might be a different outcome. But we talked about the penalty issues. Zuccarello scores off Ian Cole, a bit of a bounce that you referenced. You know, with 33 seconds remaining in the second period. Minnesota scored a goal in each of, you know, the final minutes of the first and the second period. And sometimes those can be massive momentum swings. The Canucks bounced back from the late first period goal and reestablished control and got up four to one and then Boldy scored and then Miller caps his hat trick, makes it a five, two game and and everything seemed to go in the Canucks way. Their best players had stepped up. They had faced a little bit of criticism or just the two defensemen scored the other night against Winnipeg. And so for JT to get a hat trick, his first of the year, get to 27 goals, Elias Pettersson, the release on his goal, like that looked like you know, a guy that meant business. And so, again, there was so much delight from the Vancouver Canucks through 39 and a half minutes of this hockey game, but it is a 60-minute game. And I, I guess I wanted to believe that this group, all the success that they had had, the veteran presence, that they were beyond this. And so uh, there is a part of me that's surprised. And I know they're not a perfect team, 
And we've seen some cracks along the way and playing with leads. You know, they were great before Christmas, but we've seen it a few too many times now where playing in the third period with a lead, uh, they just haven't had that look of invincibility. You do wonder about the lingering effects of this that you can try and shake it off, but other teams are going to say like, hey, we saw Minnesota lean on this hockey club and pump them for seven in the third period. Like we're not out of this. So you hope that this doesn't have a, a lasting impact on the Vancouver Canucks. They're going to have to find a way to shake it off against one of the best teams in the NHL in Colorado. So uh, we'll find out a little bit more about this team. You know, they're approaching the 60 game mark. You'd like mm-hmm. to think that we have a pretty good read on who this group of Vancouver Canucks are, but boy, like now they have to, they've got to suck it up. They've got to try and, put this behind them and that's not going to be easy going into to ball arena in Denver on Tuesday night no absolutely not and look I think that it's another one of those measuring stick games if you think you are who you really think you are you go up against Colorado Avalanche team on the second of back-to-backs and you get blown out in the third period you got to see what you're made of here you know you're yeah you're going to get your you're going to get your starting goalie probably back into the lineup here um you know against the Colorado Avalanche and you're going to have a bad taste in your mouth if, if you're members of that Vancouver Canucks team because that was ugly. That was an ugly third period. And look, I I, I just think that there's there's so much in that game to like early. You know, you, you they, they, they're playing well. You mentioned the guys coming off this night. JT Miller, the hat trick there, the, the Elias Pettersson, the all-Swedes combining for that goal, the kind of the passing there and the release on the shot. And Ian Cole, for goodness sake, scored a goal. Like, you know, th- things were really good. And it's... The way that they fell off, and and it's just the 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 pushback was kind of there, but not really. You know, when when they make it a one goal game, I go, okay, may, maybe there's a little bit of hope. And then Brodine, obviously from a mile away, you knew that was one of the things. Just the way that the the afternoon was going, but yeah, we can call, we can talk about the officiating and things like that, and some of the phantom calls and and what happened. But at the same time, if you're putting yourself in a position for the referees to make some of these calls then that's that's another issue in itself as well. Like, don't put yourself in an issue where the referee, if you see the referees are calling things a certain way in the game, you maybe have to change your game a little bit because it is going against you. And for those people that want to pin this on the officials, like, the same thing the other night against Winnipeg. Like, it was a 2-2 game going to the third period. Mm-hmm. The Canucks see themselves as contenders. You put all that garbage behind you, you start fresh. The Canucks had the only power play of the third period the other night against the Jets. They didn't cash in, and, and then Winnipeg scored uh, the two goals they needed to pull away. Uh, keep in mind, too, here, like if we're just being honest and we try to break this down from every conceivable angle uh, on these postgame pods, like Tyler Myers gets uh, to- completely gets away with a pick on the first goal, the Ian Cole goal. Like if that goes against the Canucks, people are screaming and Tyler Myers stands his ground, basically looked like a rolling pick in basketball, and it, you know, it created space for Ian Cole on that right side. So uh, it does cut both ways. You may not like the officiating, but I do think the Canucks got a bit of a break there. And, you know, or if you listed off all the things that were going the Canucks way, from Miller to Pedersen, the Swedish line, a power play goal, too. Yeah. Like, you know, they had gone 0 for 19. The That rut got to 20. Uh, the first power play of the night did not look good. They were completely discombobulated again. But JT Miller picks the, you know, inside of the post. Brock Besser standing his ground in front of the net, uh, 
you know, like there were things to like there on the power play, but that gets so lost in the shuffle on a day like this one where the story is Minnesota going four for six with the man advantage and the Canucks just completely crumbling like we haven't seen uh, certainly at any point this year. Uh, you know, New Jersey scored six on them and that felt like a lot back in early December, but uh, double digits, my goodness. So uh, yeah, I mean, we know that they go to Denver and we'll see where things go from here for the Vancouver Canucks. There was a little glimmer of uh, hope, I suppose, or a silver lining. Didn't look good for Connor Garland when he blocked that Joel Erickson X shot uh, late in the second period. He was in some real distress, and so I kind of thought his night would be done, and then there would be questions about whether he'd be able to to go tomorrow in Colorado, but uh, it was good to see him back out there uh, at the very least. Of course, they only have the one extra healthy forward uh, on this road trip, and that's Archie Baines and uh, you know, maybe the door is open. We'll have to see, uh, you know, if Garland can't go or if Rick Tockett. And I'm curious to see about this. Like, there's two ways Rick Tockett can go here. Putting Archdeep Baines in, you know, that's a great opportunity for him if it happens. It's not really message sending, I don't think, because he probably would go in on a you know, fourth line kind of role. But Tockett can come right back with the same lineup aside from the goaltending switch and say, you know, you guys, I'm giving you an opportunity to clean up your own mess here. Or... You know, he's limited. He's got Archie Baines. He's got Mark Friedman. He can make a couple of lineup changes if he figures that somehow uh, that's going to help the hockey club. But again, we're talking about going into Colorado against the Avalanche, uh, who barely lose at home. They're 21-5 and on home ice, the best home ice record. So uh, I will be curious to see if there are any coaching decisions outside of the goaltender or if he just turns to the same players and sort of appeals to their professional pride and says, you know, get back out there and just make it right. Do a whole lot better than you did over the final 21 minutes of this game in Minnesota. No, absolutely. And and I think that Rick's played, and he's probably played in some games where his teams weren't good either. You know, he's played on a lot, had a lot of success yeah. in his career, but he's also been there. So he probably knows what some of those guys are thinking. But if we know Rick Tockett, as well as what we've seen in the media and what he tends to put out sometimes, he's not going to be a happy man in that room for the way that third period was. I bet you the message is stern. I bet you it's clear. I bet you they, they get on that plane. They're looking at film and they're they're probably the best thing for it to happen for this hockey team is that they don't have any time to think about this game. They're right back at it and you get your goalie back. So there's some positive there. But Jeff, I want to ask you, like you look at this team right now and, and you look at the way that this game was, I don't want to say maybe handled, but but the way that they played when they when things started to go wrong. Are you, what was the most concerning part for you? Just that this is a veteran group. Like it was yeah. pointed out on the broadcast, the, the Canucks don't have any rookies in their lineup. And they've had eight games from rookies all season long from Linus Carlson, uh, Akito Hirose, who was in the opening night lineup, and, and Cole McWard got in his game. Uh, it's This is a veteran group. And maybe they don't have a ton of rings to show for it. And Cole certainly has the championship pedigree. But with this coaching staff and a veteran group, Composure. Again, adversity is going to be thrown at you in different ways. You had a 5-2 lead. Like the 5-3 goal should have been a bit of a wake-up call that, all right, like now we have to buckle down, but we still have a two-goal lead to work with to start the third period, even though you're on the penalty kill. I mean, at that point, Minnesota had just scored the one power play goal. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like they had been buzzing on the power play. It wasn't like the Canucks were under siege when they were shorthanded. But Minnesota flipped a switch that you just don't see very often, and they couldn't miss in that third period. And so I guess for me, it's just, it's composure, because I start to look at this team now, I mean, two months away from the playoffs, everything the Canucks do is viewed through a bit of a playoff prism. And for me, like, you see momentum swings. You're going to have to go into hostile buildings, and other teams are going to score a couple on you. 
And you have to be able to weather storms better than the Canucks certainly did in the third period. Like they did, a, I, I thought Minnesota had a great start to the hockey game the first couple of shifts. I thought they they threw a bunch of pucks at the net, um, got traffic to the front of the net. And, you know, I mean, it, it feels like a lifetime ago now that the Canucks scored on their first shot and then actually scored on their second shot as well. I mean, the shots were 8-2 to two for Minnesota and the Canucks were up to nothing. So it wasn't like the Canucks were dominant in the first period. It's just the PDO was working in their favor. They got a couple of bounces. Uh, you know, we talked about the the pick by Myers. You know, the Miller's first goal off the end boards comes right to him. I mean, great hand-eye by him, but a fortunate bounce to be in the right spot. And again, they gave up the late goal in the first period. If they get out of the first step 2 nothing, I mean, there's still a ton of hockey to be played, but Minnesota you know, on the board with some life, the crowd's into it. And now it's a one goal game. And then I like the way the Canucks extended. I mean, we talked about there were like, they stacked those shifts. Like Pia Suter had a great scoring chance. He was on the doorstep, didn't score. But moments later, that all sweet line got out there. They score, they make it three to one. And then JT Miller on the power play, you know, four to one. So the fact that this group wasn't able to play better with the lead. And I do think like we've seen this, you know, in Detroit, where they had a 3-1 lead after a good second period, but they end up giving up three unanswered goals, losing in overtime on the penalty shot there. You know, you go back to, and maybe I cut them a little bit of slack in Columbus at the tail end of that uh, long road trip with the travel trouble that they had had, but, you know, that was the first time all year that they weren't able to make a, a third period lead stand up, and they did get a single point out of that game at Nationwide Arena, but, you know, we're starting to see this a little more and more, and and maybe the record after two was a little inflated. I mean, it was so gaudy when it, what did it get to like 28 no or something? Yeah. I think it was um, 20, yeah, about that. But you know, this is the first time that they lose outright when taking a lead to the third period. So it hasn't happened often, obviously, but we have seen third period leads get away from the Vancouver Canucks. And I think that's something that Rick talk and the coaching staff are going to have to try to snap this group back to attention, the staples, the non-negotiables, whatever, you know, they're more important than ever in the third period when you've got a lead. Like, don't wait till Minnesota ties it up to think, uh-oh, like now we got a game on our hands. When Minnesota scored that late goal in the second to make it 5-3, to three, to me, that's when some alarm bells should have been going off for the Vancouver Canucks, and yet it didn't feel like that was the case. So sort of, you know, to answer your question, I guess, again, I, I thought this team was a little bit past this where composure in certain circumstances would be an issue but we saw that they basically went into panic mode in the third period yeah and and i think that that's one of the biggest things right you just you just can't have that and look i i know where this team is in the standings and i know how good they've been all year and i know we talk about it every game that they lose they're they're allowed to lose hockey games and they've padded enough stats and they've done enough good things and they have players playing at historic levels both nhl and for the franchise but when you lose the way you do you mentioned veteran group with the, the the composure, not having the composure in the third period. These are hockey games you're not supposed to lose. And you can blame the officiating all you want, but you just can't lose it. Did Rick Tockett, if I'm correct, did Rick, did Rick Tockett call a timeout in the third period? No. Yeah. So that that's another thing. I mean, look, maybe he just wanted his team could feel it out and things like that. But if you look at it, like if you're the coach, Jeff, do, do you call a timeout at some point when you feel, like if you have that feel for the game and you think it's getting away from you? I was surprised at that. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, I know a lot of coaches want to save it till the end in case it's a one goal game or whatever. I think there are times in a game where you have to, 
you've got to play that card. And uh, Minnesota certainly they did. Uh, we saw them call the timeout uh, when they got their first five on th- or their the, the five on three late in the second period, and that was good coaching by John Hines. Rest your best players, uh, you know, save them up and, and let them empty the tank over the you know, final minute of the second period, and they got the one goal that sort of was the catalyst for them to to breathe some life back into this comeback effort. So yeah, a little surprise. Yeah, you know, there's enough to go around. Like we can harp on the goaltender. We can mm-hmm. look at the players. Uh, they, they're all in it together. And and so the coaches have to wear this as well. And I do think that there were certain buttons that Rick Tockett and his coaching staff probably could have pushed a, a little bit more. You know, the other thing too is, and, and you know, you're not wronger when you point out like they're 37, 14, and six. They remain in first place. In the National Hockey League standings, teams will creep a little closer. Boston Law are one in a shootout, so the Bruins picked up points, and you know Vegas uh, in San Jose going to pick up points. Uh, so the teams will creep a little bit closer to them. I-, I think the bigger issue here isn't their overall record. They have created a buffer, but if we're just being flat out honest, they have five wins in their last ten games now. They're five, three, and two. But in just did you leave the building with a win? You know, five wins, five losses in their last ten. And I think they believe that they're a much better team than five wins in a 10-game stretch. Now, we saw that back in November. Remember when they alternated wins and losses over a 10-game run? And we were like, all right, who are the real Canucks? How are, yeah. come, how are they going to come out of this? Well, they came out of it on this ridiculous run with like two regulation losses in 24 games. And that's put them in the position they are. But here they are now. They're facing good teams. This is a sneaky, tough road trip. Three and four with the afternoon start into Denver and then, you know, the third game in four nights is in Seattle where the Kraken are desperate. They're trying to hang on to a, a playoff spot. They've been really good at home over the last couple of months. So that's not going to be easy as well. And that's why at 5-2, to two, it looked like just do your business, get out of XL Energy Center with a victory, and take your chances in Colorado on Tuesday. And instead, they're leaving Minnesota with their tails between their legs. They're licking their wounds here, and they've got to bounce back now against the Colorado Avalanche. So second time this season that they've had a 10-game stretch where – you know, five wins and five losses. It's not the end of the world, but, you know, if you don't get a result in Colorado, then you go into Seattle and all of a sudden there's a little pressure there. If you don't get a result in Colorado, that's three straight losses. That's something that hasn't happened uh, to this hockey club all season long. And it's one of the reasons they are where they are in the standings as well is because they haven't allowed losing streaks to creep in. And so I think it would have been foolish to think they'd go the entire season without losing three in a row at some point. And they haven't yet. I'll give them every opportunity in Colorado, but that's sort of, you know, just to frame that game against the Avalanche, that's one of the storylines there is that the Canucks haven't dropped three straight at any point this season. And now, coming off this, how do they respond? Yeah, well, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? And you're going to get the automatic bump with Demko probably being back in the net for that one. I mean, let's be honest, he, he likely is is the starter, barring anything crazy happening between now and the time puck drops. But it's the rest of the team. It's how do you mentally prepare for that game after going through this? You're lucky you don't have a day off. You're lucky that there's really probably not going to be a morning skate. You're not going to really have to do much or any media in the morning. There's not going to be not that many local media will probably will be there to be talked to talking about it as well. So you get to go in and play the game. And I think that that's an important thing for this group with the way things ended in that game. I mean, also, the late goal to end of the first period and a late goal to end of the second period there as well in this hockey game. That's just another thing to look at for this group. But all in all, like they lost. I don't think that a team this good should be losing games like that. Um, we've definitely talked about it. There's enough blame to go around everywhere from the officiating to the penalty kill to the coaching to 
you know, maybe it just being one of those hockey games. But unfortunately, if you're the best team in the National Hockey League and you lose the way that you do, you're going to get every team's Stanley Cup final. You're going to have a target on your back. That's just the way it is. And it's going to be like that from here until the end of the season. Yeah, and we talk about sort of this week ahead of the Canucks. So this one's off the board, Colorado, Seattle, and of course, oh yeah, Boston. Uh, On Saturday, and I know the Bruins have had some struggles. I mentioned they beat Dallas in a shootout, but they got to play badly, gave up 45 or 46 shots. So maybe they're not at their best, but it's the Canucks, it's Boston. You know the stakes and, and certainly the expectations of the fan base for that one. And given what happened in Boston 10 days ago, where the Canucks got blanked in one of their poorest performances up until this one against the Minnesota Wild. So storylines abound uh, every night out for this hockey club that now has to find a way to sort of harness it back in, eliminate the mistakes, play with a little more composure, ultimately get it right. Because they had a chance against Winnipeg, 2-2 into the third. That was a game that was there for the taking. And here with a 5-2 lead, and they flushed that. So lots still ahead here on this episode of Rinkwide. Uh, we're just getting started. Barely feel like we scratched the surface with all of the storylines in this one, but we'll find uh, some stats that stand out. Certainly, there were enough uh, numbers from a hockey game like this one. Listener feedback, looking forward to hearing what you have to say and your takeaways from a 10-7 loss for the Canucks in Minnesota. It's Jeff and it's Surf with you. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Canucks fall 10-7 to the Minnesota Wild at XL Energy Center. Mini takes the season series, uh, two wins in the three games. Canucks had a 2-0 shutout win way back. A shutout? Uh, Hard to even utter that word on a day when they give up 10, but they did blank Minnesota 2-0 back on the 7th of December. Jeff and Irv with you here. Rick Wide, Vancouver. Going to hear from Rick Tockett, and we're going to let you hear him in his entirety. He talked for about 90 seconds after this hockey game. All post-game audio on Rick Wide, Vancouver is a presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian pioneers of the no appointment oil change and now providing tire service and sales as well and no appointment needed there. 16 locations in the lower mainland for one near you. Go to mrlube.com. Or if we'll play the coach and then we'll come back, we'll break it all down. But as you can imagine, uh, none too pleased with the penalties, the discipline, and a couple of other areas of this hockey game. This is Rick Tockett speaking to the reporters in Minnesota after the 10 7 loss. Well, uh, you'll learn how to play under pressure. You know, uh, we gave him, four, what was it, five, four or five on threes. Give him a, go, uh, a goal at the end of the first, and then we take a penalty after the second. Um, so these are lessons that we have to learn how to play under pressure. Stick penalties. Our five-on play play was good. We had uh, a lot of a lot of chances. I thought we played five on five. Obviously, the other parts of our game wasn't good. Did you talk to them specifically about discipline after the game? That and played under pressure. And JT, you you mentioned as well the five-on-five play. Was there anything else that you take away? He also talked about being excited to turn around and play again right away. Yeah, I mean, of course. We got 20-something games. Anytime you play this game, you want to be excited to play. You know, we'll be ready to play tomorrow and go from there. 
You mentioned the penalty is the second straight game. That penalty trouble was kind of there. Where's the level of concern? Or it's probably concerned? three games, four games. Yeah. Okay. It's getting, uh, it's actually stupid stick penalties. You know, you can't do it. And we got to learn. And when you play under pressure, you cannot do those things. Solace in the first 40 minutes of the game, though, and then kind of coming back toward the end. Well, I like, I mean, take away the five on four or whatever, five on threes, take away the stupid stick penalties. The, giving up the goal, the, the, the first, the breakaway, and stuff like that. The five-on-five five play was good. I mean, we had a lot of possession time. We had a lot of chances. What can you take from the way that you guys closed out the game and tried to battle back there? I mean, it's, it's good, but it's not good enough. Just the whole overall. I look at the whole overall game. Well, he sounded a lot like we did in that opening segment. Uh, <laughs> you know, we just talked about, uh, I mean, stupid stick penalties. Uh, you know, he wasn't giving his players an out at all. Uh, and... We've heard this from him before. I mean, he's got that thing about meeting pressure with pressure. That's where he seemed, I, I think, the most disappointed in his group. Like, forget the fact that, yes, Minnesota scored on the power play. It was that his team just couldn't deal with the pressure. And like we said, we I think we both felt that this team had come so far this year that they were sort of past that. Yeah. And look, I think that we mentioned as well as, when they alternated those wins and losses, they went one game, one game, one game, one game. We, we kind of were confusing. You alluded to it in, in the show that who are the real Canucks? And then you mentioned you get past it and you think that they can overcome these things. But now it's just compounding mistakes and, it, and it's things that happen. And, and it's, is it, is it, I'm not, look, I, this is one game and I don't want to question this team's leadership group, but talking, not calling a timeout. I don't really know if I like that. And then are you having guys like, you know, when before a face-off, is someone saying something? Is it Quinn Hughes? Is it JT? Is it Elias Pettersson just before a draw, you know, when they talk to each other and, and things like that? It's one of those things. But, I mean, Talkett probably doesn't want a $25,000 fine by the, by the <laughs> NHL, right? So I think that he's smart enough to not, you know, criticize the officiating, but he's also smart enough to know what his team didn't do right in that hockey game. And there was a lot of errors and there's a lot of mental errors to finish that hockey game as well. Yeah, I mean, he uttered it twice, stupid yeah. stick penalties. I mean, Carney Garland gets called for high sticking four minutes into the game. That one didn't cost them. Teddy Bluger, when they're already down a man, that's a high sticking penalty as well. But but really, I, I mean, Elias Pettersson sort of tackled for his hooking penalty and you could have called a bunch of different things. Uh, that was the other thing. We really haven't talked about that. Like, And it kind of was just par for the course on this afternoon. Like, how many crazy scrambles were there in bo- at both ends of the ice? But there were a couple of sequences. Like, I know the Canucks were pissed off on, and I've lost track of which goal it was, but uh, that that scramble, I think it was Kaprizov's. The Kaprizov's uh, goal, yeah. And, like, Ian Cole is down, but, I mean, the referee must have felt that he could see the puck there because they allowed play to continue. And I always fear, like, guys are going to just get like hatchet job to death and that, you know, players are sticking uh, other guys looking for that puck. So, I mean, I, I think the Canucks felt that there could have been a whistle, but you got to play until the whistle and whistle didn't happen there. And Kaprizov uh, ultimately at the side of the net, able to to fire at home. So, but I just look when I hear talk and talk about stupid stick penalties, you know, like Zadorov gets called for holding. Pedersen gets called for hooking. And we talked about JT Miller up over the glass. I mean, is that a stick penalty? Not <laughs> really. Um, so, you know, I, maybe it's just frustration on the coach. And maybe he thought there were more stick penalties in there. Whatever the case. Like, that's the other thing. Like, there were so many overlapping penalties. But ultimately, Minnesota only had six power plays. Like, it felt like they had 15 
They had six, they scored on four of them, and they win it by a score of 10 to 7. So some frustration for the coach, obviously, and uh, we'll see how they pick up the pieces and move on. I know that uh, we will pick up and move on here into the three-star selection again, post-game audio brought to you by Mr. Lube. This was a pretty easy afternoon. I think it was just a question of uh, in which order the three stars in the building, Joel Erickson, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, and, and JT Miller. Uh, hard to argue with that. Uh, the two wild players both had six-point nights and and JT Miller with his four-pointer. So uh, I'm fine with that. I think uh, that's a pretty good order. Um, and as we, we've mentioned, like it does sort of feel like JT Miller, one of his most dominant performances of the season, is going to be an afterthought, which is unfortunate for him. His first hat-trick, sixth hat-trick of the season by uh, Vancouver Canuck players, Brock's got three of them. Uh, P.S. Suter had one. P.D. had one against Nashville way back at the start of the year. And then J.T. Miller in this one, the third hat-trick of his National Hockey League career. But uh, do we agree with that? Uh, go with the two wild guys in their six-point afternoons as the first two stars and then J.T. Miller? Yeah, I think you have to, right? I mean, yeah. goal scorers get paid. Guys that put up points get paid. They're the ones that people pay a lot of money to go and see. Um, you're not giving either either goalie or any mess of that defenseman, uh, no. any of the defensemen there are stars. So you got to go with those guys for sure. And how about that? Mark Andre Fleury ends up yeah. getting the win, 555th career victory, where he probably thought I was just going in to mop up, and it wasn't uh, Philip Gustafson's afternoon, so they give him the final 20 minutes. wasn't terribly busy, didn't see a lot of pucks, uh, did give up a couple of goals, as it turned out, but uh, he had the comfort uh, level. Uh, the Canucks uh, unable to stop the Minnesota Wild, so Mark Andre Fleury gets the win. Minnesota gets the victory. 10-7, the final score. We've got lots still ahead here. We'll get to the stat that stands out. In fact, a couple of them. Uh, we'll get to listener feedback to our channels at Rinkwide Van and a thought or two on the challenge facing the Vancouver Canucks. A short memory here as they uh, jump on their flight and head for Denver and take on the Colorado Avalanche on Tuesday night. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Trying to make sense of a 10-7 loss for the Vancouver Canucks in Minnesota. We'll get some listener feedback here in a sec. But as you can imagine, with a game that had 17 goals and the drama of this one, uh, lots of choices for the stat that stands out. Uh, I guess for me, three hat-tricks. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the last time there were three hat-tricks in a National Hockey League game. But beyond that, there were five guys that had four-point afternoons in this hockey game. There were... Two guys that had six points. JT Miller had his hat trick and and four points. Uh, A couple of other Minnesota Wild, Matt Boldy, Matt Zuccarello, they had four-point afternoons as well. So you had five guys that had four points or more. I hope people had Canucks and Wild uh, on their fantasy teams or uh, in their hockey pools uh, for this one. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, I think that there was there's that one, and also the Canucks haven't allowed ten goals since forever either. I think it's a three the three hat tricks is crazy as well. The three hat tricks is actually so crazy that you almost forget about JT Miller's because of the way that yeah. the game ended. Like, no, you, you're right. Right? Like, the power move on Bogosian to, to, yeah. and just a beautiful – like JT was dialed in with the shots in this hockey game, the power play goal off the post and in, and and then to, to you know the drive wide and, and to be able to get the stick around Bogosian to get that shot off – uh, and then he does pick up an assist on, I guess, I think it's his door off goal as well. So four points for, for JT Miller. You know, and look, Brock scores at the end. That's kind of a complete afterthought. Good for him. I hope that it gets the good vibes going again. Just there there hasn't been enough goals off the stick of Brock Besser. But uh, 
with Miller scoring three times in this hockey game and Petey scoring as well, you know, at one point, Pedersen crept within one of Besser for the team lead. So Brock extends his lead. Besser has 31, Pedersen's got 29, and JT Miller's got 27. With the amount of hockey that's left to be played, like there is an absolute goal-scoring derby now for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I'm th- and look, I think that's Brock probably doesn't win that derby. We 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 mentioned all the time about Brock Besser and him scoring in bunches. So maybe he's got you know five or six game in a row where he gets one, two, and maybe three. But you know JT Miller scores pretty consistently, and then Elias Pedersen obviously he's you know he's probably not going to go three or four games without a goal. So the the goal scoring derby is going to be interesting to talk about here. But they're going to get to a point like they can have three goal scores, 30, 35 goals apiece. That that could be a wild stat as well near the end of the season, Jeff. And I think uh, I saw when JT Miller scored his first of the night or afternoon, it gave him 25, and they were the first team in the NHL to have three 25-goal scores. So you figure that three 30-goal scores for sure, and then, yeah, is it 35? Are they all going to take a run at 40? <laughs> like, even with this slowdown here, Brock is still on pace for somewhere in the low 40s, and so he creeps one closer, obviously, getting to 31. You know, and Pia Suter had three assists as well. He had kind of been quiet since the All-Star break, and that's the other thing. Like, this wasn't, like, Kaprizov and Joel Erickson-Eck you know, completely out the Canucks' best players. Like, the Canucks' best players were all over the score sheet. And I was thinking, as I was putting my notes together for the show, I'm like, all right, like, these guys have been taking a little bit of heat since the All-Star break, you know, but they rose to the occasion after the loss to Winnipeg, and and they did. But, unfortunately, there were other areas of the game that were uh, woefully inept, and uh, penalty kill was uh, the top of the list. And we've talked about that an awful lot. People have heard from us here on this episode. Let's uh, see what the people had to say uh, about this 10-7 loss in Minnesota as we go to our social ch- feedback channels at uh, Rink-Wide Van. And again, a lot of people harping on the officiating. And and I get it. The Canucks lost. People are upset and they're frustrated. But uh, I think you're a little misguided here. When you're giving up four, and I know that there were the five-on-three goals. I get that. But uh, I'm just surprised at the amount of vitriol directed at the officiating as opposed to uh, the guys that uh, were supposed to be out there Killing penalties. Michael says refs after Myers called them out last game, and he's got a picture of Michael Jordan wearing a, an NHL referee jersey, and it says, and I took them personally. I want to believe that it's not the case, and yet I, I can't sit here and tell you that uh, for certain that the officials don't talk or that they don't pay attention to what's going on and being said about them. I was Were you at all surprised that Myers wasn't dinged, even fined, by the league for, you know, like it wasn't outlandish, but anytime you say you're playing two teams as opposed to one, um, you're calling out the officials and the league's pretty sensitive. I was a little surprised that uh, Tyler Myers didn't uh, uh, get a phone call from the National Hockey League. Well, the one good thing for Tyler Myers is that the people that were probably making the decisions were fast asleep and worried about the outdoor <laughs> games then. So I think that Tyler Myers Maybe. got away with it. He kind of, you might've known what was going on in his surroundings when he made those comments. But look, I think that, the officiating, it, look, it wasn't 100%. I, I kind of agree with you, Jeff, that we can't sit here and say that we don't know if the officials talk or say, or, you know, we've there's been conspiracy theories about how the games have been managed and, and things like that and of that nature. But still, you're leading a hockey game by a certain amount of goals. You should be able to, if you are as good a team as everyone says you are and that you've shown to be all season, like you mentioned when we talked about this all show, you have to be able to hold your composure and win that hockey game. The provocative one on Twitter says, Canucks aren't getting out of the first round of the playoffs. That's what I took away from this game. 
I think it's a little early to be making that sort of rash prediction, but I will say that you know, if they end up playing Minnesota and the Wild are scratching and clawing and trying to hang in and be relevant in the playoff race, you know, Minnesota held them to, well, they beat them in a shootout two to one back in December, and then they beat them in the the polar opposite, uh, the other end of the spectrum in this one. But, you know, St. Louis is also right there in the battle for that wildcard spot, and St. Louis beat the Canucks twice this year. So, you know, some of these teams that are a little lower in the standings, like there's so much focus on, oh, they got to finish first in the West so that they avoid Vegas and Edmonton. And I get that line of thinking, but uh, some of these other teams have given the Canucks all they can handle as well. Will says, I really don't understand why you pull the goalie at 9-7, allowing a team to put a double-digit 10 spot on you <laughs> is far more embarrassing than single digits. Really don't get it. Not like they were going to tie it. And you know what? I, I tend to agree with that. Like the damage has been done, but don't compound the problems yourself. Like, you know, you haven't kept anything out of your net. Don't give them another freebie and people can say, hey, 10, 7, 9, 7. What's the difference? No, I think optically there is, a, and maybe psychologically as well. So uh, again, I didn't agree with the, some of the decisions that Rick Tockett made in that third period, whether it was the lack of a timeout or or pulling the goaltender again at 9 to 7. I guess maybe Tockett's thinking, hey, so many goals going in, who's to say that uh, somehow they don't get a couple? And you know what? When they made it, uh, I lost track here, but when they when they made it 8 to 7, and they got the goalie out and they actually had a decent look. Wouldn't that have been something if they had tied the game at eight all, but it wasn't to be Canucks go down in flames. 10-7 is the final. Lorne says you can't win when you're killing five on threes all game. Again, I, and I don't think he's necessarily putting that on the officials. He's just making a statement that you're right. Like tough enough to have to kill five on fours, but when you compound that and take penalties when you're already a man short, uh, it's a difficult way to live and a difficult way to win. And ultimately, the Canucks didn't. Dan says, boys need to be more disciplined. The high sticks, interference, delay a game on sports. I'm like, all of them unacceptable. And, and as I said earlier, I think aside from the Elias Lindholm penalty, which I didn't like, the other ones didn't really have an issue with. And so easiest way to kill penalties, Earth, is don't take them in the first place. Like you're going to take penalties. I get that. But don't uh, compile them. Don't compound them. Don't... Uh, make matters worse for yourself. And uh, Canucks didn't do a very good job of that one at XL Energy Center. Uh, last word here to Cog 88 says, not even sure. Maybe the goalie needs to stop the puck. Maybe the refs need to chill. Maybe the Canucks need to not take so many penalties. So yeah, I mean, all of those factors added up. Uh, bottom line, the Canucks weren't good enough and, and weren't good enough the other night against the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, they, they were decent five on five against the Jets, but they gave up the two power play goals there. And so again, for a team that's had some success on the penalty kill since Christmas, uh, by my math, they have given up six power play goals in their last 10 times shorthanded. That is a 40% kill rate. That's not getting it done. And this, uh, this little stretch here, these last couple of games feels just way too much like the last couple of seasons. Yeah. And I just think that when you look at it and like we've talked about, you know, if you really believe in yourself and, and you know, their head coach was even one of the guys that was basically saying not he wasn't blaming the officiating. You know, he, he was basically said that they're the ones that took stupid penalties. So if your head coach is saying that, you know, you obviously know that there was something beyond than just the officiating that he was upset about. But whatever. The Canucks, obviously, Jeff, and it's it's a holiday, too. Everyone was on this one. It was an early game. The family day, no one was happy. It was, it was one of those games. But they get back at it. And I think that that's the one good thing that they have for this team is they can wipe this one away and get right back at it against Colorado Avalanche. 
Yeah. And just as we wrap things up here, a couple of thoughts on the Avs. We mentioned their home ice record, 21-5. and They've won 11 of their last 12 at home. They beat Arizona 4-3 on Sunday. Uh, Nathan McKinnon leads the Avalanche, second in the NHL, 91 points through 56 games. Uh, he's fifth in the league in goals with 33 and tied for the league lead in assists with 58. And it's not just him. I mean, Miko Ranton's got 29 goals. Kale McCarr's got 60 points. And the Avs are the highest scoring team in the league this year, uh, at least as we record this or a game's going on around the National Hockey League. But you've just come off a game where you've given up 10, and now you're facing the team that scored more than any other team in the National Hockey League. So the challenges are pretty obvious. Colorado beat the Canucks 5-2 to back in November. This is just their second meeting of the season, and Colorado will be in Vancouver once this year, and that'll be on March 13th as part of that long nine-game homestand next month. So... Uh, we shall see, but they weren't. Uh, they didn't measure up. They played Colorado hard for 40 minutes, and the Avs pulled away in the third period when they met back in November and certainly uh, played Minnesota hard for two periods and let things get away in the third period in this one. 10-7. I would imagine that uh, there'll be some sleepless people in and around the Canuck organization and probably some Canuck fans as well. Shake it off. Get out there. Enjoy some fresh air. Uh, the beauty of hockey is that uh, they will turn around and they'll do it all again on Tuesday night. And that's when we'll be back with our next episode of Rink-Wide Vancouver. For Irfan Gafar, this is Jeff Patterson. Again, thanks so much for listening. The final score, the Minnesota Wild 10 the Vancouver Canucks 7. You've been listening to Rink Wide Vancouver.